thank you so much for uh, bringing meals and uh, just stopping in to check and see how we're doing and um, and those kind of things. And we're we're very grateful. And uh, um, I think my I think you waved once, but I'm going to have you do it again. That's my wife Eliana over there. Um, so please say hi to her um, and say hi to her again and <laughs> and and get to know her. She's she's a wonderful woman, and I'm so grateful for her. Um, and before we turn to God's word this morning, let's take some time to pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have brought us here today. Lord, there are various reasons that we think we have come today, but you have your good purposes for us to be here. And we ask, Lord, that you'd open your word to us, help us to hear your voice. Please change us. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are receptive to your word. Give us minds that think about what you have to say. And help us in all things to glorify you. Because the reason you have brought us here is to worship you. And we thank you for sending your son Jesus that we can worship you. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So if you would... Uh, grab a Bible if you brought one, or grab one in uh, the pews n- near you, and uh, go to the first book in the book of Psalms. We're going to be starting an eight-week series, um, a little bit broken up in throughout various Psalms. Um, and one of the reasons that came to mind for me to do was actually what was on the uh, children's slide. The One of the passages that, of my call to ministry was Joshua, Joshua 1, verse 9. And one of the things that the Lord says to Joshua is this book of the law shall be before you day and night. You stay with it. Don't go to the left or to the right. Stay with it and you will prosper wherever you go. So as we begin, I have two questions for us. Ones that you have either asked verbally or you've or you just have intuitively sensed. Everybody on the planet wrestles with these two questions because it, it's a driving force for the entirety of our lives. What is life and living? And how do I find it? Have you ever asked these questions? And it, isn't it interesting that we even should ask these questions? It doesn't seem like any other part of creation asks those questions. It's not like you see, it's not like cows are out in the field chewing their cud, ruminating over the mysteries of the universe and telling nobody. Maybe they are. But they're not asking what is life and living and how do they find it. They're there. They're doing it. Or how about um, squirrels as they're gathering acorns? Or this week was fantastic. You can go see it if you want in the uh, conference room window over there, uh, a bird flew full sail right into it as I was studying, preparing for this message. And after he hit that window, he didn't go home and rethink his life. He, he's, he was already living it. He just had a, had a poor choice that day. Why is it that we, people, are the only creatures that ask these questions? What is life and living, and how do I find it? Do you know what kind of questions these are? They are searching questions. They are desire questions. 
Actually, they are worship questions. Do you know that we are all, every single one of us, are all worshipers? We're aiming to center our every area of existence around someone or something. That's what worship is. And we're always doing that, all the time. So we ask the questions of life that we do because we're trying to find out what or whom to live for. And that's why we're going to the book of Psalms. And we're also asking these questions because we've lost our center. We've lost the object we were supposed to have every area of our lives centered around. And there are many voices, even maybe voices in your head telling you right now, trying to tell you or trying to sell you what that center should be. Which is best? Which is right? Which leads to happiness? Well, we're going to see that in, in this book, the answer is so clear yet is so often obscured. What is real life? What is real living? How do we find it? So if you've gotten there, I would invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word this morning, the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You have a seat. So what does this psalm say that we say what real life is and how to find it? Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. First thing we need to see in this passage is that real life is not found in certain places. It's not found in what opposes God. Sometimes the best place to begin understanding what something is is to compare it with what it's not. And if you have just taken a millisecond to look at your own life or the world around us, we're really good at trying to define life by what it's actually not. This book, ha this book actually has the audacity to tell us that we don't start with a right definition of real life anymore. Can you believe that? Right at the beginning... In the book of Genesis, we didn't start there, but, but that's the book, beginning of this book. In the book of Genesis, God tells us that he created people in his own image 
without anything evil or bad about them, for the purpose of worshiping him and reflecting his glory and majesty to the rest of his creation. But by chapter 4 of a several thousand page book, we've already listened to the father of lies and we've rejected God. And from that point on, apart from God's mercy, we're apart from him. And that's why, that's why we're even asking these questions. What is life and living and how do I find it? If we have not sinned, which is what rejecting the voice of God and instead listening to what other voices tell us, we'd already have those answers. And we, we'd be totally satisfied. We wouldn't ask these questions if we were with God. So all of us have been, and some here may be still, walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, and sitting in the seat of scoffers. So what does that mean? Because uh, the Psalms are poetry, and they use figurative language to communicate reality. So apart from God, we have no good counsel to heed. So we will try to fill that need for counsel by listening to wicked voices. We may not think they're wicked, but that actually only goes to further prove how deceived we are by our own wickedness. Apart from God, we have no good way to stand in. That means there's no good life trajectory, there's no good posture of viewing the world and living in it. Apart from God, the way of sinners... Oh, and then to top it all off, we have, I say this with a little bit of a smile, because it's, it's kind of a sad funny. We have the arrogance to assume what's called here the seat of scoffers. Proverbs 21 verse 24 gives us a definition of scoffer. Quote, the name of the arrogant, haughty man or woman who acts with arrogant pride. Yikes. And the idea of seat, most often used in the scripture, was one of a position of authority or ability to judge or rulership or rank or honor. You would go in ancient times to the city gate where they had seats set up for the judges or elders to sit. Or Later on, you'd go to the synagogue, and those in the front seats behind, in front of where everybody else stood were places of honor, and you would go to them to get counsel, to get mercy, to get justice, to seek favor. Here, sitting in the seat of scoffers means we all presume to make our own seat or to, throw, or to try to dethrone God off of his seat over our lives and then proceed to spew out the same nonsense that we received in seeking counsel and giving it to others and actually helping them in their own cycle of death. It's encouraging, isn't it? No, this is bad. This is really bad. And this actually is an endless cycle, a state of spiritual death for everyone caught by it. 
But notice here what, he's, what he says in, right at the beginning of this song. That the person who is blessed is the person who stays away from these kind of things. People who avoid this stuff are to enjoy immense good. They're to have joy in their lives. Parents, why do you tell your kids to stay away from harmful stuff? It's because you want good and blessing for them, right? You, want, you also want to avoid that trip to the ER. And isn't it always better? It is so much better when they listen and enjoy the blessing that you give them by, telling, by loving them enough to say, stay away from those things. And kids, everybody here has been a kid, even those of you who have grown up. Why do you stay away from touching the stove? Why do you... Yeah, yep. Why do you stay out of the street when cars are coming? It's for your blessing. It's for your good. It's for your joy. So let me ask you this. Have you met somebody like this? Verse, who's blessed in this verse, verse 1? Who stays out of these things? Well, let me ask you this. Has anyone been able perfectly to get out of these things on their own? Before we fully answer that, we're gonna, we need to look at one more aspect of this man, of this blessed person. Because we've looked at what they're not doing, now let's look at what they are doing. If we're not walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, or sitting in the seat of scoffers, what are we to be doing? Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Real life is found by loving and listening to God's voice. Doesn't this sound good? Doesn't this sound like where we should be? Really refreshing and really interesting, delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on his law day and night? Maybe some of you nodded, but maybe some of you are thinking, good, refreshing, <laughs> interesting. With all due respect, Aaron, and you can call me Aaron. You don't have to call me Pastor Aaron, although I, I won't get offended if you do. Actually, what you just said, Aaron, sounds pretty boring to me. Why would someone spend day and night thinking about clauses of jurisprudence? Hmm? It seems to me the only person like that who would like that kind of stuff is someone who's trying to pass the bar exam. A lawyer who, or maybe a judge who's really into their job. If you're thinking like this, you're actually raising a pretty decent concern. Let's not, we're not going to just, we're not going to blow you off. If you're not someone in government leadership or the court system, why would law, law be of any interest to you? Most of us try to know just enough of the law, of the rules around us, to keep us from being on law enforcement's radar and off the IRS audit list. So how can someone like you and me 
and even the law student, the judge, and, and the police officer, be blessed by this. Well, before we get to an understanding of what's meant by the word law here, we need to understand what's most important in this verse. It's not the law itself. It's not. Jesus caught his fellow Jews with this statement from John 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Many people today, I'm talking about Huggerites, in the, uh, or Hutterites in, in uh, Sunday school this morning. Many people today would make life about rule keeping or would make it all about having head knowledge about the Bible. And the truth is, neither of those things, in, neither of the, those things are bad. But they become, they are bad and are a stumbling block if they are separated from the source of those things. Whose law is it? Whose law is it, church? Come on, more than him. <laughs> yes, it is God's. It's the Lord's law. The Lord is the most important. And who is he? That question, we have got to get right. Who is he? A.W. Tozer said in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Or we might say that who God is, is the most important thing about us and everything. Who is he? Well, his law says, just to point to a few passages, quote, Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will no my, by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. Or Psalm, verse 34, Psalm 34, verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Or Psalm 68, verse 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God. 1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. Or at the end of this book, Revelation 21, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am and the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of the water of life without payment. This is God. A holy, majestic, loving, caring, merciful, giving and living God. And this is the God whose law we are to meditate and delight in. Is this law getting more interesting if he's the one who gives it? You'll notice that I quoted scripture to tell you who God is. In the Hebrew, the word law here in verse 2 is Torah. Torah means teaching. Does it include statutory commands, literal laws? You bet it does. 
for the law of the Lord here does, but it's not just commands. For the law of the Lord here does emphasize the first five books of this Bible, which are the Jewish Torah. But those five books are explained and expounded everywhere else in this, across every other page in this book. All of it is the law of the Lord. All of it. Blessed is the man or woman who del- whose delight is in this book and on, what's, and on what's in this book meditates day and night. A quick note about meditation. It's not the Eastern idea of meditation that's become so popular here where you empty your mind and you just release all your faculties and you just float out there in a, an ohm or just a, a nothing and just receive whatever comes to you. No, 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 no. This Middle Eastern meditation, God's meditation, is everything that you have that he has given you is to be used to think and focus upon his word, to chew it in our spirits, to chew it in our minds, to think over it, to mull it over, to try to understand what he's saying, to let it saturate us. So whose teaching is this? It's God's teaching. For what purpose? He makes himself known to us. We who are dead in the counsels of the wicked, dead in the way of sinners, dead in the seat of scoffers. Why? That we might have life. A living God gives his, living, gives his law so that we might have life. Real life. Blessing. So we asked the question when we heard what to stay away from. Real life is not found in what opposes God. It's found by, what, by loving and listening to what God says. So the question was and is, has anybody been successful or been able to perfectly get these on their own? Is there anyone on the planet in the history of mankind who has kept away from evil perfectly and not only kept away from bad things, but who has delighted in, like really enjoyed, and then meditated on God's word day and night in perfection? Because if there was... This book says in James chapter 2, verse 1, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of all of it. And then the seal of the deal, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know what that means? That means we're done. We're all done. Every one of us in this room falls under those two verses. Just those two verses. We're totally done. We cannot, according to this psalm, be blessed. And as the psalm goes on to say later, we are condemned at God's judgment and we perish forever. But that's not the end of the story, is it? If you keep reading this law of the Lord, you'll see that it is God himself in Jesus the Christ, who is the first man blessed in this psalm. Jesus went on to tell his fellow Jews and us in John verse 
John 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have, in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Psalm 1 is first and foremost, not about us. It's about Jesus. And Jesus lovingly calls us out. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So put it positively, if you and I do come to him for life, which is what John wrote his gospel for, that by believing him, if we do come to him for life, we may have life in his name. How do we love and listen to what God says? We believe in the one he sent to save us from death. And when we are saved from death, our death, as we turn away from our sins, as from the evil way, and we trust him, delighting ourselves in him and his word, we get real life in him. What is that? In a world where we are totally enslaved and we have been dead in our sins, when we are brought to new life by faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's a whole new world. That's a, the world flipped upside down or right side up. What does that look like? What does that look like? That's where we go next in the psalm. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that wind, the wind drives away. Real life, and this may sound obvious, but real life is actually living. Isn't this great? A tree, something solid with roots that grow deep, beautiful branches and leaves that come out, and fruit. It's one of the best things about summer is you get fruit. God makes sure that his people, those who trust in him by faith, are planted where they can flourish. This tree is planted by streams of water. Do you believe that God would do this for you? That he would plant you and that you would flourish? A tree that yields its fruit in its season, its leaves never withering, all that we do prospering? This is a picture of what it looks like when we spiritually feed ourselves. When we do what John, Jesus says to do in John chapter 15, abide in him, meditating on, delighting in his word and meditating on it day and night. But how many of us are starving ourselves because we dust off the Bible and bring it to church on Sundays and then when we get home, we put it back on the shelf and we think that we're... And we think, if, if we think like this, we think that we're like Elijah who's given a supernatural meal and goes in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. Like that one time, that hour, any hour and a half or two hours on Sunday morning is enough to spiritually feed us for the rest of the week. The truth is, if you're not delighting and meditating on his word day and night, daily, you're spiritually starving yourself. 
And this doesn't mean that you need to haul around a giant study Bible everywhere you go. And every break at work, you've got to read your Bible and don't do anything else. It wouldn't be a wasted life if you did, though. I was putting that out there. There's a multitude of ways to do this. In fact, this blessing and a curse, in case you haven't, don't see, it's a smartphone. I have an app on there, just a few finger touches away, that has 231 Bibles on it. Just seconds away. And even if we don't have smartphones, or we decided to put them away for the day, do one of those, it's a good day. We can mem- we, God has given us the faculty to memorize his word and to keep it in our hearts so that we can bring it forth and call it to mind whenever we, are, whenever we can. So feed yourself in his word regularly with what is good and you will prosper. But be careful here. Even the counsels of the wicked can speak this scripture and lead people to death. Because last time I looked at my life, and last I looked at scripture, and maybe the last time you did too, the life of a Christian doesn't seem that idyllic, like the scene painted here. Things are peaceful, like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf doesn't wither. Things are enjoyable. Now, there might be moments in my life that appear this way, but my leaves never withering, to use figurative language. I know many of us went to bed last night with a tired body or a withering back. And all that I do prospering? I sure did not see the wealth coming to me when some scammer in Spain got a hold of my credit card information. And when I was duped by some spam email. What does he mean here? Prosper. Well, one of the best tools that God has given us to help us understand Scripture is other passages of Scripture. And there's a passage in the prophet Jeremiah that has a portion almost exactly like this from chapter 17. It reads like this. It says, Blessed is the man, starting the exact same way, And he's even more explicit. Who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It's sounding really familiar. And does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Do you hear the difference? In God's economy, a flourishing tree is not promised no hardship. In fact, it's the trees that face strong wind, endure heat, drought, and the like. They lean into that wind and they send their roots deeper than if none of that had ever happened to them. The same is true with us. Many of us could probably say, without any exaggeration at all, that the times that we have felt closest to the Lord, our Savior, was when something hard was sent our way. And we had to lean on Him and depend on Him and sink our roots on His foundation. 
That's what's so great about the Psalms. They, did, they tell us of a man or woman who is blessed, but they don't shy away from the troubles of this life, this side of heaven. So I said this psalm was about Jesus, ultimately. So here's a question we should pause and ask. If Jesus is this blessed man whose leaf never withers and all that he does prospers and he bears fruit in its season, what about when he suffered and died on the cross? Is that leaf never withering? Is that prospering? He perfectly kept the law of the Lord, delighted in it, and meditated on it day and night. <laughs> what, ha- what happened? Did this psalm just like gloss over? We're not going to talk about that part of Jesus' life. Well, let me ask you a kind of an odd question. Have you ever seen a tree eating its own fruit? Like trees like stand out there, hey, look, I got some apples today. <laughs> Anybody? If you do, I'd love to hear about it. But otherwise, no way. God didn't make things that way. What's the, what's the fruit for? What's the tree for? It doesn't exist for itself. It exists to benefit others. It yields in its fruit. It yields its fruit in its season. In all that He does, He prospers. When God is on the throne, all that happens, whether loss or gain, is gain in the kingdom of God. Writer of Hebrews says, Lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who for the joy, the gain that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is not prosperity as the world thinks. It's not the nicest house, the most picturesque family. It's not the best set of clubs. It's not the manliest truck. It's not even the club or sideline season tickets to your favorite team who may or may not have won last night. Just putting that out there. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we who are in Christ are to have our gaze set on him who is in heaven. This means our treasure is in heaven, not here. And because that's true, even when it may feel like we're going through a lot of loss down here, where the drought and heat are continuing to beat on us, we are actually, in God's kingdom, continuing to prosper. Making a heavenly investment far more valuable than any of the sock options we could possibly get down here. Our life in God is actually living. And it's because it's God's, it's forever. But the psalm does not end there. We need to heed the warning that God gives. There are two roads in life. There are two ways, only two. One is rooted in the real life of God. One is rootless. And is like the waste husks from the harvest, just blown about until they're burned up or destroyed or decay. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the, in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Maybe you have heard 
and I heard it in, in school. Maybe you've heard the poem by Robert Frost. where he writes, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And before I f- finish this poem, I want you to be thinking about how this, what's similar and what's different with this poem from what is here in the psalm. Then took the other, just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I should be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by, and it has made all the difference. Now, maybe Mr. Frost had the idea that it was just, he was out in nature one day and saw two two paths, and he took one. Taking one means not taking the other, but they're pretty equal as far as the trail map goes. But we have to understand that many people, including myself, were taught that this poem represents taking a path of life that that cuts against the status quo, that the one that is adventuresome, risk-taking, and will be the most thrilling and will maximize your potential. Well, what they didn't teach about that poem and what they don't teach is this psalm, that Christ is the greatest path of all and the least traveled, the one that's not about me at all. It's about God, and I get to participate So many people read this as going their own way. But Proverbs, again, says, the way that seems right to a man leads to death. All roads may lead to Rome, but not all roads lead to God. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So why will the wicked not stand? Why will sinners not be found in the congregation of the righteous? Why will the way of the wicked perish? The answer is really simple. That way is not known by God. That is, he's not familiar with it. He didn't make it. He's not the owner of it. He's not the author of it. He didn't design it. All that he has made, all that he made was good. Because he is good. He doesn't have a trace of sin in him. It's only when Satan, his angels, and we stepped out of that path of what is good. That's where we don't stand in the judgment or in the congregation of the righteous. We rebel against him and we step out out of what is good. And if you step out of what is good, of course it leads to death. But the scripture again and again says, to quote Jesus, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me and have life. Real life is God's and no other. So when we step away from God, we step away from life. So of course the consequence is, if you're stepping away from life, what is it? Death. 
17th century preacher said it this way, that which a man spits against heaven shall fall back on his own face. It's actually because God is good that the wicked must be judged. It's because God is life that those who reject him perish. And we need to consider this. We need to consider and know that the crazier thing is not that God would send rebellious sinners to hell. It's not. No, the crazier thing by far is that a just God would also be merciful and die in the place of rebellious sinners and allow them into heaven to be with him and have life forever. That's what the offer is. That's how the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So this plead with you, and as I think of it, it brings to mind people that I know. Pray to the Lord that this would transform how we see our lost neighbors, our lost family, our lost friends. We are being warned, they are being warned, but there is still hope for them. Because the judgment hasn't come yet. And there is still hope for anybody who's listening to my voice to turn away from your sins and to trust in a good Lord Jesus who would see you have real life and give it and give it forever. For the Lord not only knows the way of the righteous, he is the way. So can you answer these questions yet? The questions we asked at the beginning? What is life and living, and how do we find it? The answer is the same. You find life and living in Jesus, who is revealed in this word, and revealed in the church that delights and meditates on this word. Let's be a church like that. It's not found in opposing God. It is found in listening and loving God's voice. And it's actually life, real life, not fake It's found in God alone, through Christ alone, by the Holy Spirit alone, nowhere else. Let us delight and meditate on this good law and know him and grow in him. We don't have to perish. And in him, by believing in his name, we can have life in his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. This is good. Please help us to remember that you are good and what the what things you say, even though they may be hard for us sinners to hear, they are good. May we trust you. Please forgive us of our sins. Make us like Jesus. Give us peace. Give us life. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.